Well, good morning. Whoa, hello. Hope you're all doing well today. Had a good night's sleep and um, ready to, to talk about the Word today. Everybody have a, a handout? I made a, a copy of yesterday's and then uh, have one for today also. Um, a couple folks said, you know, uh, my hand's hurting from trying to write everything down, so uh, could we have some copies? And I didn't, sorry I didn't even think about it yesterday. It's been a crazy week. Uh, I appreciate your prayers. My, my daughter had to have surgery last week uh, down in Nashville, so we went down there and watched the babies for all week. Uh, she's doing pretty good, uh, but can you pray for her? She's going to be uh, unable to work for about six weeks total. Uh, so I appreciate your prayers for my daughter. Uh, she's, she, she's fine. She's fine. Just uh, uh, financially and stuff like that. Just appreciate your prayers for them. All right. I think people are still coming in. Let's start with a word of prayer, shall we? Dear Lord, we thank you for this day, and thank you, God, for your presence with us. I pray, God, you just uh, uh, help us, Lord, to embrace your word and who you are. And, Lord, realize that um, your word is more than just a, a book. Your word is more than just a, a history lesson. Your word is more than just good stories that we like to tell our kids. Uh, Lord, this, this, this word is about you. And it teaches us about you and reveals you to us. And so, Lord, I pray that we will uh, embrace this view of who you are, your, the revelations you've shown us of your love, love for creation, love for us, love for the world. Lord, I just pray you'll just uh, help us today. Lord, we do lift up uh, those who might not be feeling well today. Um, always at, at camp, uh, you know, stuff gets around and those types of things. We just ask a hedge of protection around this place. Uh, keep everybody healthy. And just be with us all today, Lord. We just pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, you know, we talk about uh, creation. Uh, you all do your homework? You read Genesis 1 and 2? Yeah, I know you didn't know it. Oh, Sam, no. I got to pick on Sam. He's one of my students over here. So, uh, But um, when we think about creation and we think about who God is in creation and we think about what God has done in creation, we sometimes get caught up more in, in the, the things of creation. We get caught up in the, the process of creation. We get up caught up in the arguments and debates between uh, creationism and evolution. We get caught up in, is it seven days or not seven days? We get caught up in a lot of stuff that really was not the intent of these two chapters anyway. It was never intended to be this. If we think about the full scope of Scripture, the entire Bible is about really one thing, to reveal to us God. That's what the Bible's for. God's self-revelation to us is his word. And so the Bible is revealing who God is. In the midst of that, he reveals us to us who we are, where we come from, and why we are the way we are. It also reveals to us sin coming into the world and then really why we are that way we are. But he shows us these things. That's what the Bible's about. And what God has done to help us in our sinfulness. It's all about God's actions, God's presence, God's love, God's grace. It's never considered, and I'm not, I'm not being critical of anything, those are important issues of dealing with evolution and those, those types of issues. How does, how does science and, and the Bible relate? Those are very important issues. I'm not downgrading those at all. But the primary intent of Scripture is to reveal God. That's it. And if that's the case, then chapters 1 and 2 do the same thing. And so we need to look at it from that standpoint first. What are these two chapters saying about God? Who is God in these chapters? How is he first revealing himself when the very beginning, in the beginning, God? Yes? Not in the beginning, this argument with Darwin began. No. In the beginning, God. Yes? So we have to start with God. 
God was in the beginning. God does not have a beginning. When beginning begins, God already is. Okay? So that's one thing we see about God in these two chapters. And we look at many more of these today. As we look at this idea of love, of chesed, and Sam, you want to hear a bunch of stuff you've heard before. But this chesed love of God, this tender loving mercy, this kindness and, and pity and, and concern and, and passion and, 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 and desire to be part of and to live within his creation around us and within us ourselves. This is what we need to see in these two chapters. So that's what we're going to focus on today. Okay? So I'm not going to get into arguments, no debates about creationism or, or anything else, no debates about what is an actual day or anything like that. That's not what the text is about primarily. Okay? Everybody all right with that? Okay. So I just want to set the groundwork of what we're going to do today. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not a crazy person. I'm not a liberal. Okay? I'm not any of those things. I, I take the Bible as it is. All right? I don't fit on any scale when it comes to conservative liberal. I believe in the Bible. I believe in God. Okay? So that's where we are. So we, we, we talk about creation, and, and often we use this word ex nihilo, which means creation out of nothing. And this creation is simply not stating that, that a, a, a substance or nothing of substance existed, but to tell us that God created this thing that we have here purely out of his will, purely out of his power, purely out of his voice. We don't know what it was like. We have a whole three verses. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was formless and void, and the Spirit of the Lord hovered over the abyss, the deep. And you ask questions like, well, where did the abyss come from? Where did the deep come from? Where did the waters come from? Okay, if, you know, uh, you know, we can't get into those because we weren't there. It tells us what we need to know. In the beginning, God. God did what? Created. Creation is something, the word bara, that's the Hebrew word for creation, bara, only God baras. Because creation is taking something that never existed and bringing it into being. Humans cannot create anything. We can make things that are new out of what already exists. Yes? And we call creations, you know, a brand new, I created a new cake. Well, that's great. But the flour already existed, the eggs already existed, the milk already existed. So we put the things that God has already created and made something new. So humans cannot create the way God creates. God speaks and it happens. So ex nihilo, out of nothing, really tells us that God precedes and exceeds the world meaning that he is before anything else. In fact, we're not told that he ever has a beginning. There's no argument whatsoever that God exists in the Bible. You will not find one single argument throughout Scripture that God exists. It's just assumed. God is. I won't even say God was because that's time. God is and always has been is. What is that? I have no idea. I got a little pea brain, okay? I don't know what that's like. I don't know what eternity is like. I don't know what timelessness is like. Sometimes I like to find out as I get older every day. But we don't know. We don't know. And so we have this picture of, of God who precedes but also exceeds the world. He is above. He is apart. He is separate. He is, not, he is not attached to this place. God is. God is. And he's not this as something bigger or older. Older requires the idea of time, yes. He is rather the absolute and infinite source of everything. That's fancy terms, I know, infinite and 
uh, absolute and infinite, but literally saying God and God alone is the source of all things. God alone is the only absolute that ever has been. So every absolute that's ever come after that has come from God. Does that make sense? Again, I don't want to go off in the weeds somewhere, but it's important for us to understand this, this, this concept of what's happening here. Creation exists because God willed it. God didn't get up one morning and say, mm, boy, you know, I feel like making something. God had a will, a plan, a purpose, and he opens his mouth and says, let there be. Let there be. And there was. No argument there, right? There's no, and you know, maybe it might have happened. Well, you know, let it happen, and it happens. That's a description of who God is. That's something we want to hold on to out of this passage. The big theological question is why? Why would God want to make this, especially the way we have it today? It's a mess, right? I mean, you know, let's be honest. The world's a mess. I mean, you know, wherever two or more are gathered together, there's 15 opinions. You know, we can't seem to get along at all. Okay, and, 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 and we can't, it, 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 it's just, it's, 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 things are not the way God designed it to be, right? Okay, so the question is why? If God is all-knowing, and I won't get too theological here, but if God is all-knowing, which he is, and God is all-powerful, which he is, why would he make it this way that gives us free will choice, that, make, that allows us to mess this place up? Why would God do this? That again is something we need to talk about today. Why? Why? We can talk about the how, we can talk about the when, we can talk about all kinds of things, but we rarely talk about the why of creation. Okay, so we'll talk about that today. Got a little patient. First, the purpose of Genesis 1 and 2. Genesis 1, verse 1 through chapter 2, verse 4, the first half of verse 4, really reveals God's preexistence. There is no argument, like I mentioned, for God's existence. God just is. In this first chapter, God is transcendent. God is wholly other. God is not tied to anything. God does not need anything. God is God. Where is God before creation? We get this image of him out there somewhere. Out there somewhere. Fact is, God is everywhere. But God is just God. Okay? God is just God. He does not need us, does not need this planet does not need the stars, does not need the sun and the moon, doesn't need any of this. So then why would God make it? He's not dependent on anything for his survival. But it teaches us God is transcendent. That God simply speaks and it happens. God can do whatever God wants to do and nobody can stop him. That's what we see in Genesis 1. This is a God who is all-powerful. All-powerful means only powerful. The only one, the only being that is this powerful that can bring life out of nothing. Okay? So that's what the first chapter tells us. Genesis 2, 4b through 25 reveals God's nature. Now, chapter 1 reveals God's being, transcendent, powerful, knowing. But chapter 2 reveals God's nature. While God is transcendent, 
always will be. God does not need anything, even to this day. God is also imminent, meaning close. He is near. He wants to be involved in his creation. He wants to be part of everyday life. He wants to be part of what goes on in this world. He wants to be part of what is happening in everything we do. God is revealed with human characteristics. The fancy word is anthropomorphic, meaning giving God images of human characteristics. Okay? So God has hands. He comes down, right? And he gets down into the dirt. Of course, we're told that this dry land is watered each day by a mist that rises in the morning. And so what happens? You have mist and you have dirt. You get mud. Yes? And so with this, we have a God who comes down with his hands, gets down into the mud, shapes a human being with it. He looked at this human being and there's something wrong with it. There's no life in it. And so he breathes life into it. And and this human being becomes a living being a living soul, a living nefesh is the Hebrew word, which is a living soul, being, whatever that is. Okay? Now, if we take that seriously, we put ourselves in the story, and we're standing there watching all this, and we see God get up, and we see God bring this person to life, this, this Adam, to life. Then we see God, if we, put, if we use our imaginations, and it's okay to do that. God wants us to use our imaginations. That's why he gave it to us. Okay? God has mud on his hands, mud on his knees from being down on the ground, and mud on his lips from divine CPR. God is active and is willing to get into the mud of life to bring life. Ooh-wee. That is a beautiful image, is it not? Well, we get into arguments instead. We get into discussions instead, or we get into debates instead. Well, you know, we try to make it all fit together. Genesis 1, Genesis 2, we try to get them all to fit together, you know, even though it seems like there's two different accounts. And we have these arguments and debates and everything else. Forget about it. Forget about it. It's not about the debate. It's about what it's telling us about God in creation. Okay? So, again, God revealed human characteristics. God formed Adam, and I have that italicized because that is the Hebrew word that simply means human. Adam, the first time it is used, is not a name. He created a man. He created a human being out of the dirt, out of the mud. So Adam, with his hands from wet dirt... Then he sees the man and plants a garden for this man. And then he brings all the animals, of course, and, 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 and it's not good for man to be alone. It's not good for this human to be alone. Why? Because we're created in God's image, which we'll talk about in a little bit, which is relational, and it's not good for anybody to be alone. You know, to, to, and so he brings all the animals to see if there's a good partner, a good, good friend, a good companion amongst the animals. And nothing came through that was good. Nothing that came through was sufficient. And so God does surgery. Yes? Puts Adam to sleep, takes out a rib, does a little creating, forming. He doesn't say create. He formed, shaped a woman out of the rib. Again, human things that are done, forming, shaping. The intent of chapter 2 is to show God is involved in the everyday things of the world. That God is willing to get God's hands dirty. That he will come down into our mess. He'll come down into our dirt. He'll come down into, I love the old song, he brought me out of the miry clay. Well, he didn't just say, okay, come on, here's a rope, grab it. He came down there, got to the miry clay and pulled me out of it. Praise God. Amen? That's the God that we have, that we see in Genesis chapter 2. That's amazing to me. I'm sorry, I, I never get tired of teaching this. You know, I, I've, taught, I've taught Old Testament for 20-some years. 
You know, and I never get tired of this. I never get tired. Every freshman year, every Old Testament class that comes in, and these new freshmen, their very first semester, and we start talking about this, and they're like, I thought we were going to talk about it's 70s. I said, I don't care if it's 70s or not. I'm just being honest. It tells me who God is. And that's the most important thing. That's the most important thing. And this God is all-powerful and yet still cares about me. That's amazing. And we get that in the first two chapters of the Bible. You have to wait till the New Testament to find out that's who God is. The first two chapters tells us very clearly of who God is. All-powerful and yet loving. Caring. Cares about each one of us. Knows us all by name. Knows our issues, knows our hurts, knows our pains, things that people don't even know that we're going through. God knows and is with us. Praise God. Praise God. I'm preaching now, sorry. Well, Sam will tell you I preach in class all the time, so. So the purpose of Genesis 1 and 2 is foremost to reveal the God who brought everything into existence. That's what it's for. That's what it does. That's its primary purpose. Now, we can look at it scientifically. We can see that God is scientific in many ways. God created things in a proper order, which we'll talk about in just a minute. God did have a process that was intentional in creation, which is important. Absolutely, but that's not the primary interest. Its primary interest is to tell us who God is. Who God is. So, how do we? How, what do we learn about God in these chapters? You, in, who read it? Let's be honest. Okay. All right. So, if you read it or you think you know it, what are things that you've learned about God from reading the creation accounts? Anybody? God is provident. He has providence. God is God. And God does what he wants. Absolutely. Anything else? Say again. He can do anything. Absolutely. He is all-powerful. He is all-powerful. He has all the omnis. You know, you all heard the omnis, Right? Omnipresent, omnipotent, um, um, all the stuff, all the omnis. God is all those things. Absolutely. Yes, ma'am. And when I think about Genesis, God is with them. Yes. 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 We won't even get into chapter three, which which we I wish we had a chance to do that. I'm, I'm taking I'm tracing throughout the entire Old Testament this idea of God's love. So we're looking at these two chapters, but chapter 3 is incredibly important too because God, again, walked with them in the cool of the day. Wouldn't that be cool? If God walked with us every afternoon in the cool of the day, why would we sin? That's a question I like to ask Adam and Eve sometimes. How could you do this? But then God says to me, hold on, hold on, hold on. I've given you my Holy Spirit. I'm with you all the time. Why do you sin? Oops. Okay. Oops. All right. I give him a break. I give him a break. All right. So we notice these things. God is orderly. If you read it closely, days one through three are all setting up the stage. You know, light and darkness, separating the deep from the, from the dry land, sun and moon and stars, bringing grass into being, those types of things, right? We see, we see this, 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 this going on, okay, going on in these six days. But the first three days is just setting the stage, putting the earth in its place, putting the earth as it should be, with water in one section, dry land in another section, light and darkness, all the stuff that goes with preparing for life to exist. 
Then in chapter four, or verse four, or verse four, what day is it? Sorry, day four, day four, and here, and here is, is, is where uh, folks who get caught up on several, seven literal 24-hour solar days run into problem a little bit because the sun is not created till the fourth day. So, I'm not, I, again, I'm not, debating, I'm not debating whether it was seven days or not, okay? But we can't get caught up in that because somebody can always tear our arguments apart just using the actual text itself, okay? So we have to be careful, be careful what we say. But four through six really fills the stage. We have the heavens, and so God puts the, the, the sun and the, and the moon and the stars up there to fill the stage. He had the deep, he puts the fish in the sea. We have the sky, the, the, the firmament, the, 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 the atmosphere, and he puts the birds of the air into the atmosphere. On the ground, we have grass, and so he puts animals on there so that he can have something to eat because there's a grass already there. So he, then he creates the animals after the grass is is created, and then after all that, then he creates human beings, uh, which is very interesting. And we'll talk about that in just a second. So we see that there's always proper progression. Everything God does is properly progressed. This must happen for this to happen. This must happen for this to happen. This must happen for this to happen. Okay? So God is very orderly. God knows what is necessary for life to continue after he makes it. And so he makes sure that creation follows a progression that gives animals uh, creepy crawly things. Literally, that's what it says. The, the, the Hebrew word is, is and he created creepy crawly things. And I want to say, why? I don't like spiders. I don't like mosquitoes. If Noah would not have let those mosquitoes get on that boat. You know what I'm saying? Anyway. But moving on. So, so we see all of these things of God's order. And when it is finished on day six, on day seven, we're told God rested. The question I always ask is, does God get tired? I don't think so. So what does it mean to rest? What does it mean to rest? This idea of rest is like, just imagine an artist, uh, a, a, ma a master artist, the greatest painter there ever was, the greatest sculptor there ever was, the greatest molder there ever was, the greatest person that could ever make anything with his own two hands, finishing something, knowing when to stop. You know, I like to draw. I'm not very good, but sometimes I'll really draw a nice flower. You know what I'm saying? And I'm always trying to make it just a little bit better until I mess it up. An incredible artist knows when to stop because it is enough. And so God stops because it is enough, and he steps back and admires creation. That's God resting. Resting in the knowledge that we use the word complete. Creation was complete, and in some ways it was, but yet he made it in such a way that can always be improved. It can always be manipulated. It can always be changed. It can always be moved around. He made it very pliable so that humans could work with it. So if it's complete, meaning perfect, the way God wanted it, then we would, he would not tell us to tend the earth, to plant, right? So, so it's not complete the way we think of it, but it was complete as far as everything that was necessary for the future of the world. And he steps back and says, it's finished, it's done. It's funny, he uses those words, and it was finished, Does it remind you of anything? Okay. It's interesting. Interesting indeed. So that's the seven days of creation. Now, throughout those two chapters, we see these things. God is a creative being, meaning God is active. God is creative. God is always thinking outside of the box. 
And sometimes we get afraid of people who think outside the box, and we don't like change, and we don't like things. But God is always revealing new things to us, not new scripture, but opening our eyes, right? Showing us things, helping us to do things that we never thought we could do. When I was in high school, I was so shy. I, I went through entire years of high school, a teacher didn't even know my name. You know, I, 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 I was shy. I was backwards. I didn't like to talk to anybody. I was a goof off because I never thought I'd amount to anything. And God has a sense of humor in calling me to be a teacher. You know? But God can do anything. I'm telling you that right now. No matter what you think you are or what you think you can do, God can do anything through you if you say yes. That's an amazing thing, too. God is creative. And he is pretty creative with me to get me to this place. That's for sure. God is the source of all creation, as we mentioned. But then with John, oh, John, I love John the disciple. He's a great guy. You know, in his very first chapter, he starts out, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and he was never apart from God, and all things were brought to being through him, and nothing was created, nothing exists apart from his doing. That's my paraphrase. Okay? So John tells us that Christ, being the Trinity, this is the... We have trouble with Trinity also. We think, okay, there's God the Father in the Old Testament, then Jesus comes in the New Testament, and then the Holy Spirit comes after Jesus leaves, and there's this progression, and, and it's just, you know, that, that, that God the Father was first, and then Jesus came along later, and was, I've heard people say, and Jesus was born, which he was as a human, but Jesus was at creation, according to, God, to John. Jesus was there. So was the Holy Spirit hovering over the deep. Hovering over the deep. The Trinity is the Trinity. This is who God is. Okay? So God is the source of all creation. God is a positive being. He's much more intent on creating life than destroying it. And yet we see throughout the Old Testament, or I shouldn't say throughout the Old Testament, we see people's understanding of the Old Testament as God of wrath who is killing people left and right. Those stories are rare, and those stories are uh, written in a way that needs to be interpreted carefully. Okay? Uh, we don't have time for that in this time that we're together uh, to talk about those things. But overall, God always wants the best for humans. That's why he sends prophets. That's why he sent the Holy Spirit. That no matter how far off the rails we go, he is still wooing us, trying to bring us back. He doesn't want us to be destroyed. And that's the same God in the Old Testament. The same God. God is relational. And interpersonal, God, humans created in, were creating God's image, and humans are children of a caring, loving God. These are the images that we have in this passage, especially in that very beautiful part at the end of chapter 1 where he says, and God said, let us create humans in our own image. That's interesting too, isn't it? Who's God talking to? Let us, our image, images of Trinity, Trinity at the very beginning. Now we see in this passage, this, this, this group here, as we, we, he creates human beings, and we see this whole image of his creation of, of, of Adam and Eve, and his desire for them to cleave together and to, and to, to be fruitful and multiply. Uh, we see what is called the family paradigm. It's a familial paradigm, but family paradigm, uh, in the, especially in the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, throughout Scripture, including into the New Testament. What do we call the church? The family of God, yes? Okay? This family idea 
that really has three parts to it. Life, tells them be fruitful and multiply, but first off, life is given by God himself. So he's telling us, he's given us life, so produce life. He creates each of the animals, and it tells us in chapter 1, and he created them so they could also continue to produce. And the Hebrew word there is the one that's translated into Greek as sperma. Okay? So he gives a capacity for living things to reproduce. To reproduce. Life. Second thing is place. This place at the beginning was the earth. Needed a place to live, so God made this beautiful place for us. Gardens and grass and all kinds of stuff. Animals to eat, fruit to eat, all kinds of stuff. And so he gives us this earth. He gives Adam and Eve particularly a garden to live in as their own place that they could live and to take care of and to, and to, to nurture. But then it's also in relationship. He brings them together to find a place in relationship. Okay. And this place uh, is important. And it's seen throughout Scripture of God preparing a place, that we are in a place, that in the family of God is a place, one we don't see, but one that we know is true. I have a place in this world, and that's in God's kingdom. I have a place in this world, and that's in relationship with Christ and with fellow believers. The third thing is care for others. Sometimes it's called hospitality. Uh, God provided food. That is hospitality. Told them to tend the garden, which is human hospitality of creation. That we are to care for one another. We are to take care of one another. We're to take care of what we have, what God has given us. We're to take care of this earth. We're to take care of, of everything, part of life that we should never see. And so we go through the laws that we see in the in the Torah and all the way through, we see these laws, you know, love the Lord your God, but love your neighbors yourself, take care of the poor, take care of the widow, take care of three things, take care of the poor, take care of the widow, take care of the orphan, those three things, but also take care of the immigrant, which is in there four or five times in Torah, that we're to take care of the immigrants because they have left their home because of fear or some other issue that they're facing, okay? That's in the Old Testament, that's in the Torah. Okay, that's not a political statement, just saying what the Bible says, all right? So, hospitality is part of God's plan, taking care of each other, love one another. If you see New Testament statements by, again, John in his letters, if you see someone in need and you have plenty and you say, be well, take care, praying for you, and walk away, the love of God is not in you. John's words. John's words. Okay? This is who we are called to be. This is who we're called to be. So let's talk about God is in us. Let us make God humans in our own image. And I say humans because the word Adam, and again, this is just a statement. This is just the true understanding of the word Adam, means the root of all humanity. There's another interesting thing here, and I don't want to get into the weeds too much and, and cause too much dis, 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 despair. But in the, new, in, the, in the chapter 1, when God creates the trees, the word tree is singular. So literally, he, create, he created one tree, one blade of grass, one fish, one bird, and one man. Okay? Now, obviously, that's not the case. So it's understood that this, this one singular meant this is the seed, this is the beginning of all trees that ever existed. This is the beginning of all fish that ever existed. This is the beginning of all birds that ever existed. This is the beginning of all humans that ever existed. Humankind is the best way to understand the word Adam. Not the name Adam, but the word Adam. Okay? All humankind. So what does this mean to, to, to be created in the image of God? Okay? Primarily... This teaches us, we, we talk about 
this image includes the, the possibility of having reason. Talk, we talk about the sense of having a soul, the capacity for relationship, to make choice, to love in a way that's different than the animal's love. I mean, my, my pug, we had it for nine years. He loves me. I know he does. Why? Because I feed him. Yes? And I rub his back, and I scratch his belly, and he loves me. And he'll lay on my lap and just lick my arm, saying, I love you, Daddy, I love you, Daddy, I love you, Daddy. Rub my back, rub my back. Okay? That's not quite the same as loving unconditionally. I tell you right now, if I would beat him, he would not like me. Right? Okay? So... Love as in the human capacity to love in a way that's different from the animals. Okay? We think of these things as part of the image of God. And those are all true, but those are tools that God gives us in our creation. The main thing we have, I don't want to, time to get away from me. Getting close. The primary reason we have is he tells us to rule over creation. Rule over creation. Ruling is an idea of a kingship, if you will. Now, that's scary. Because we often take, take, you have dominion. God gives us dominion over creation. And we think of dominion as dominate. Dominion does not mean dominate at all. Dominion means you're responsible to take care of this. Israel's understanding of a king, what God tells them, and we'll talk about this in just a minute, is totally different than we think of as a ruler today. Okay? So we are to rule over society, we're to, uh, over the uh, creation, excuse me, the royal priesthood of all creation, if you will. Okay? We represent God to all of creation. All right? So God gives us these tools that we mentioned as to give us capacity to do this. So we are to rule with the characteristics of God. If we have the image of God, then we're to rule the earth in the characteristics of God. All right? The implications of that we all have to deal with. What does that mean? And we all have to deal with it. We all have to mess with it. And sometimes these, these issues that we talk about in Scripture have become so politicized that we really can't talk about it. Okay? But that's what it says. We are to rule with the characteristics of God. If we have the image of God in us, if we are the image of God ourselves, then the way we treat creation will be the same way God does. Yes? Make sense? Okay. So God's will for kings... And we see this in Deuteronomy chapter 17, that they are to take care of those they rule over, make good decisions for the benefit of those ruled over, and bring glory to God by their actions and behavior. That's what a king was supposed to do. That it was never about themselves, or supposed to be about themselves, or their power, or their authority, or their, power, or their, or their ability to make people do things, or their ability to control, or to manipulate. It's never been about that at all. It's about, I am in charge, God has given me capacity, the, 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 the purpose and responsibility to make sure that my people are safe, are healthy, have what they need, and are able to fulfill their own purposes. That's the king's responsibility, okay? So if we are to be kings of creation, what does that tell us, okay? So all humans are called to these behaviors toward the part of creation that we rule, all right? So, uh, you know, I, I, like, I like my yard to look nice. I'm kind of crazy about that. I mow a little too often. And my neighbor says, why do you mow so much? You can let that thing grow up. I said, I don't like hay fields. I don't like piles of dead grass after I've mowed. I want to look good. Why? Because God created this mess. Even all the bugs in it, which I can't stand. God created it. Therefore, it's worth taking care of. And let it be and shine in all of its glory that it can. 
because I want to give glory to God. So I'm kind of, I guess the word would be anal about those kind of things. I don't know. So we are the image of God in and to the world, humans, animals, land, fields, gardens, etc. Why would God create us with free will and the capacity to be abusive kings of creation? Why would God do this knowing that we would fail? What does this teach us about the God of creation? These are questions we all have to deal with. Why, 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 why? We don't ask these questions about these two chapters. We don't ask why. We ask the winds and the, and the howls and the, all the stuff. We don't like the why because it confronts us. Because if God is doing it for this reason and we're created in the image of God, then I have to have that reason also. And we don't like that too much. Let's be honest. We don't like it too much. All right? So we need to ask why. Why? My oldest daughter was the why queen. Clean your room. Why? Go to school. Why? Do this. Why? I said, one of these days, you're going to be out in the middle of the street. This truck's going to come barreling down the road. and going to say, get out of the road. You go, why? And get smashed like a bug. You know? But we should ask why. why of the, we should ask this question of the text all the time. Why? Why is the story here? Then once we under, say, okay, this story is here to teach us something. Then we can ask the what. What is it teaching us? But start with why. Because why requires us to understand something. Right? You ask somebody why. Paul, why did you retire? I miss you, buddy. Okay? You know, I miss you. But why did you retire? And you tell me, and you say, oh, man, and then it makes me think, boy, I can't wait till I can retire. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, we ask why. We ask why. Come on. One more time. Here we go. Here we go. So the evidence we see in this book is that the world is a good gift from the good and gracious God. We say this, you know, I had an old professor in seminary, and he was a, a good North Carolina country boy, smart, smarter than I'll ever be. He said, he said, Scripture tells us these three things. One, God did it. Two, God did it all. And three, God did it all good. For evening and morning, and it was good. Good. What is good? That word good. We think of good. Good is, is this, this, uh, this, this, this so-so to us anymore. Yes? Well, that was good, but I've had better. Have you ever said that? It was good, but, but you know, you know and, and I love pizza, and I've had good pizza, and I've had better pizza, but I've had the best pizza. You know what I'm saying? So for us, good has become average. I don't think God was saying, oh, man, I did a great job making this average world. Good in Hebrew means whole. Complete. Not complete like we think of as finished, but complete as in all that's necessary. It does exactly what it's supposed to do, like a good big scoop of ice cream. Noise, it tastes good, but it satisfies that inner feeling inside of me. It's good. Not just good, but good because it does its job. Okay? So God created this good gift for us. One God and three persons created. The three key aspects of the family are provided uh, in this creation. God actively shaped humans. God desired humans to be content and happy in relationship with the, with the God who created them. He wanted us to be happy and content. Anybody there yet? Happy and content. In what? Not in the creation, but in the God who created it. 
Something else we got to think about. Yes? Where we look for happiness and contentment. Where do we find that? It's important. Scripture and tradition present us with a vision of creation as something to which we belong, something that human beings as God's chief representatives upon the earth are commissioned to care for, to protect, and to nurture. Okay, that's a long statement. Um, and, you know, don't, don't turn me in, but I, f- I failed to put in my source. Okay? Uh, and I apologize for that. I'm trying to remember who it was, but I don't remember. So I will, I will correct that tomorrow. 13th century theologian Thomas Aquinas says, when we say that in Tim there is a procession of love, we show that God produced creatures not because he needed them, but nor because of any other extrinsic reason, but on account of the love of his own goodness. From a Summa Theological. So this wraps it up here. God is the sole and total cause of the creature, of the creature, all of us, everything that we see, both its substance and its intelligence. How does a tree know to move towards the sun? You ever notice that? When it's growing, if it's in shade, but there's sunlight over here, it grows that way? Yeah? How does it know that? Yeah. Creation out of nothing is not meant to reveal God's power, but shows a creation out of love. Tender mercy, presence, grace, the power to speak into existence, but choosing to get into the dirt and mud to shape us with his own hands. God's chesed nature is revealed through creation. God cares. God cares and is actively involved in creation. That is seen in these first two chapters. Now, real quick, let me see. I should wear a watch, but I don't. Ooh, we're past time. Okay. We'll talk about grace tomorrow. But, um, all right, so let me give you your homework. Try this again. There we go. Tomorrow, I want you to read Exodus 33, 12 through 34, 10. Okay. And we're going to see God's chesed on a mountain. Okay? All right. Well, have a good day. Thank you for your kindness. Actually, let me pray with you real quick. Sorry. Dear Lord, we thank you for this day. And thank you, God, for your your word. And we thank you, God, for caring enough to, to say, let there be. To give us an opportunity to be here today. For us to have breath in our lungs is a gift. For us to be able to to eat food and drink water and to to sleep and to have friends and to have conversations and be able to laugh and enjoy each other's company is a gift. So, Lord, help us to embrace this gift and let us open each day like it's Christmas morning. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.